Hey everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're getting a chance to sit down with former CFL linebacker Marcellus Bumacat Bowman. Marcellus is the founder of Eat Sleep Peak Training located in North Carolina. If you're new to the channel, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you're looking for more athlete coaches and breakdowns, don't forget to hit that notification bell. We are powered by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top choice for cannabis, look no further than Spirit Leaf Waterdown. Alex and his crew will help you out with all your THC and CBD needs and is available for curbside pickup. Don't forget to like our Instagram and theirs and you'll be able to save some money. Thanks everybody and enjoy the show. gentlemen we are here with marcella boomacat bowman it has been quite a minute with this individual he did used to play for the second best football league in the entire world the cfl played for those dirty hamilton tiger cats but those winnipeg bombers it is marcellus boomer yeah tiger cats don't bathe apparently i love watching winnipeg and hamilton so he said dirty and, and, and all of that, so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, how, are, how are things going, my man? It's been a long time, no see. We've obviously yeah. chatted through Instagram and through other yeah. stuff, showing different things, but things yeah. are good over there? Life is good, man. Just staying busy. Um, obviously, this pandemic has uh, made me accelerate some of my plans when it comes to starting businesses and different things like that, so. Uh, that's rolling right now, which I'm really happy about, but life is good, man. Life is good. Excellent. So like when, because obviously it's been quite a bit since you've been up in Canada. When, mm. what year was it that you decided, okay, we're moving back to the U.S.? When um, was that? That was 2015. Okay. Um, yeah, because I was done playing in 2014, um, stayed for another year, and then a work visa got canceled. So I came back at the beginning of 2016, actually. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah excellent. Yeah. I, re I remember that. So for everybody who doesn't know, Marcellus used to work at the uh, facility that we don't speak about on this podcast. No, we don't. We us, don't talk about them. But, um, no, we don't talk about them. <laughs> yeah. But um, Marcellus and I uh, we and Mike, we all worked together at the same facility. Um, we had a blast. Marcellus was like one of those elite athletes that we brought in onto the training team, which was amazing because it was a, a different type of training that we were able to see up close and personal. And, um, yeah, it was always a pleasure to have you on the team, but mm -hmm. unfortunately like that, that work visa gets canceled and you're yeah. like, okay, got to deport these guys back to the U S it's <laughs> unfortunate, that, but yeah, it, it was all good. I think it was time, uh, to come back to the U S we actually started out in Niagara as my wife was getting her master's. Then we moved down to where we are now, which is uh, North Carolina. Very nice, excellent. So how have things been, uh, um, so you talked about building businesses, but like there was a point where you kind of went back into the commercial gym setting before yeah. too. Yeah, so when I first got down, I did what I did, or I did what I knew best, which was uh, personal training. So I did that from 2016 to about mid 2017. Um, and what happened was when I was coming back down to America, I hit up my old uh, strength conditioning coach from uh, college who was now, or at the time, the head strength coach for the Bears, <clears throat> the Chicago Bears, so Coach Lascalzo. And I hit him up and asked him about, you know, what is it like to be a strength coach in college? And he let he, he keeps it 100% real. So he let me know his thoughts. And he said he had a guy down in um, Auburn. So um, I got in contact with a guy down in Auburn. He said, well, we don't have any slots now, but, you know, I'll keep you in mind. So I personal trained from 2016 to 17, mid-2017, took off to um, Auburn and started collegiate coaching. So, um, yeah, I was in the commercial gym for a while, but then I transitioned to collegiate strength and conditioning for a little while. Do you find that uh, some of your, you know, your formal football connections have helped you with either, like, you know, personal training clients or even getting into, like, strength and conditioning further and, like, you know, Give us a little bit of your experience with that. Um, football in general has has done a lot of favors for me. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> having that experience uh, has carried some weight 
and allowing me to, you know, uh, get opportunities uh, that maybe would have taken a little bit longer for me to get otherwise. So uh, those connections with, uh, and that's what I tell um, a lot of, whenever I speak to high schools and different things like that, uh, and it's not an athletically focused conversation, uh, I tell them it's all about relationships. Because when you maintain relationships, when you make good impressions on people, um, of course, it may not pay you back immediately, uh, but that return on investment is coming eventually. And that's essentially what happened for me. So um, yeah, it, it, play, it pays some dividends uh, uh, over the course of time. So uh, let me ask you this because I think we've talked about it before, but like, obviously I, I know like the dream, obviously maybe at one point was the NFL. So, but mm -hmm. like, how did you kind of transition from like high school to college and then you ended up in the CFL? Yeah. Like, so how did that transition happen? So uh, Youngstown, Ohio, Liberty High School is where I uh, grew up. And um, <clears throat> most people go to the Big Ten around there, Ohio State, Penn State, and everything like that. But uh, Boston College came uh, calling. So um, initially, I thought I was going to play receiver. Uh, but my high school coach was like, your hands are not good enough to be a receiver. <laughs> you, you can't catch a brick. You exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? So um, they, he, he was just making a point about how hard they throw the ball. My hands were a little too inconsistent. So I thought he was telling other recruiters that I was a receiver the whole time he was saying that I was a safety. I never played safety a day in my life. I never even backpedaled. Um, so uh, he was telling other schools that eventually uh, landed on Boston College and uh, went there uh, from 2005, 2009. We had some good years. Had a lot of players go to the NFL. Um, I actually got a shot in the NFL. I signed with the Denver Broncos out of uh, college as a free agent, uh, as kind of obviously didn't uh, make it too long there. Uh, and then about two weeks later, um, I got a call from my agent. He was like, hey, you know, a team up in CFL and CFL uh, want some tape. Should I send it to him? I was like, yeah, go ahead. And I asked him what team it was. He said, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Didn't know where Winnipeg was. Didn't know where Blue Bombers was. Um, in America, we don't have a lot of information about other places. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, so I had, I had no information or understanding about Canada other than where it was. Um, but yeah, he sent that. They liked what they saw. They brought me up there. And um, I was actually the sixth string linebacker, if that's even a thing. Basically, I was a cone for the first uh, <laughs> I was a cone for the first couple of practices. And then I finally got my opportunity. And by the time the season started, I was um, I was playing and the transition from, say, you know, playing safety down here and then transitioning up to play a linebacker up up there. Um, all the thinking was prior to the snap. After that, it was just football. So the transition really wasn't that big for me. Um, there was some growing pains going from, you know, receiver, I'm sorry, not receiver, but safety to linebacker. But uh, overall, it was a smooth transition. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a great time. Like I, I loved every second of the CFL, like every single second of it. Yeah. Like the CFL is a pretty awesome league, especially like, and I, I hear that from stories of all different types of players who come out of that league as well. Like they just have great, nothing but great things to say about it. Like, yeah. did you find like the transition as far as like, even like the field being obviously a little bit bigger, like the differences are like the food, like on how that the substance of it. You don't, you don't notice it. At least for me, I did not notice the size of the mm -hmm. field um, as far as it being any different. From a strategic standpoint, of course, the coaches make an emphasis uh, about it, especially when you first get there and they explain all the differences in the size of the fields and the angles you have to take when you're in pursuit. Uh, because some younger players coming up from America to Canada will take a sharper angle, you know, and then not really realize the running back or the receiver can keep running laterally. So um, after you kind of get used to some of the angles and of course the speed, uh, of the game, because I think it is faster. It's a faster pace. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that you have the waggle uh, makes a big difference. But um, yeah, once the ball is snapped from a defensive perspective, once the ball is snapped, you're looking, you're finding the ball. Like you go where the ball is. So it really doesn't matter how big the field is because you're chasing the ball anyway. So um, what's more important is where your other players are around you strategically. Like, do you have contain? Do you have help? Do you have somebody inside of you or not? You know, so that's the only difference with the extra player. But yeah, once the ball is snapped, it's just football, really. So yeah. life, in Win life in Winnipeg is uh, a little bit different than uh, in, in the U.S., I guess you could say. Like, what were your experiences like out in the peg, as they, as they call yeah. it? Um, one, never knew it could be that cold for that long. 
Um, and I'm from Ohio, so I'm not from paradise by any means. Uh, I'm from Ohio, but um, the biggest difference was once I decided to stay there year round was just how long you don't see grass for. That was just unbelievable. But um, as far as the people, um, actually, I'll tell, I'll explain it like this. I was going to a meeting uh, about a um, business opportunity, right, with some supplements and different things like that. Um, I found the house with a bunch of cars parked outside the house. The garage door was up. I walk into the garage door, knock on the door, and a teenager opens the door. Um, I shake his hand and say, how you doing? He said, hey, how you doing? I'm good. So I walk in. I take my shoes off. Um, and there's a few people sitting on the couch and there's a lady that comes out of her kitchen, drying her hands off and doing the dishes. And, um, you know, she says, Hey, how you doing? I said, I'm good. How are you doing? She said, okay, I'm good. Blah, blah. And then it just gets quiet. And I'm like, so is this the meeting for blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, no, this, this is not the meeting for that. And I was like, is this whatever, whatever Portage Avenue? She was like, no, that's across the street. And literally that's when I realized like, Canada is <laughs> in America. I literally, I'm 230 pounds, um, you know, bigger than I am now, bigger than I am now. I walk into the wrong house. They let me in. I take my shoes off, get comfortable. I introduce myself. There's kids in the house. Got <laughs> me getting arrested or worse, you know? And that's just something that wouldn't happen in America. And I always tell my American friends, that's like a microcosm of Canada. Like the people there are nice. They're different. They're less confrontational, I won't say non-confrontational, but less confrontational. So from that perspective, me and my wife always talk about like, minus the weather, that would be home. Like if, if we really didn't mind, you know, we embrace the cold a little bit more, that would be home. Not Winnipeg per se, maybe, but Canada. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not Winnipeg, where it's like winter eight eight months of the year. <laughs> but, yeah, but beautiful people though. Yeah, you, you, you could find yourself in Calgary or like Vancouver or, okay. or let alone like some, some nice place out in the east or something like that. There, there's some good pockets, absolutely. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, because obviously like going like going back into like training aspect as far as like, you know, getting the collegiate level, college football, like the type of facilities that they have made for those athletes coming up to make sure that they have every tool available to them. Yeah. Like what type of like like especially as a trainer kind of walking into like the gardens yeah. of heaven, like what's that like? Because like <laughs> they put so much money into these things. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. So my last rep performed in college was in 2009. Uh when I got back into collegiate coaching was 2017, so a little less than a decade. Uh, which when I walked in, I remember walking in and just seeing just all the different things that they had. And when you go into the closets and all the things that, they, that other companies send them that they don't use, it's literally one of those things where one, companies are sending these schools things to hopefully get them in their facilities so they can say, hey, Auburn Tigers, Ohio State, LSU uses our product, which is a big deal. Uh, then the other side of it is that there's, in certain situations, there's almost no budget. Whatever you need, you can have. And it's one of those things where like, there's not too many other situations that I can think of in life where you have literally everything you need from a resource standpoint to succeed. Um, I remember talking to the head strength coach at uh, Auburn and he was just, you know, kind of going, giving me the tour of uh, some of the um, things they had there. And he would, every once in a while, mention how much something costs. And it was so nonchalant, like 20, 30,000. Uh, per piece of this thing. <laughs> it wasn't, it was per piece of this. It was some uh, kind of like a power plate, but a little bit different. Um, and then they had this other um, force plate uh, thing that was new for me at the time. Uh, that was another, I don't know how much money uh, they were spending on that. And it was just like, it was just unbelievable. It was one of those things where it was like, how do you fail? You know, how do you not yeah. make you have these many, which, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So I don't want to oversimplify it. But uh, yeah, walking into those facilities and just seeing what's uh, available to them um, from a supplement perspective, I'm big on supplements and everything like that. Um, same thing, unlimited supply of everything. Um, you go into the locker room and it's just, it's just they got refrigerators and big screen TVs and big nice couches and just like all the snacks lining the, uh, the walls. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
Aaron, this is this is what we need for uh jujitsu facility one of these days with all that podcast oh, yeah. money that we've been making. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. I mean, like you, you gotta think like other sports or like even like other students at the like at the school or just be like, oh, these fucking football guys, they got yeah. all like like they they, <laughs> they suck they suck the budget out of everything. No, but you there's know, no it, leftover money. It kind of works like that, but it kind of doesn't because football brings in most of the money such awesome facilities now it's like a football pays for a lot of how awesome that campus looks right uh some new buildings and just new advancements and even what's interesting is to get students to come there students that have nothing to do with football probably won't even go to the game they'll bring them to the facilities just so they can see the bright lights and the shiny things yeah. and, you know just talk about the big names that kind of walk through these hallways and different things like that so Football really brings in a lot of money and people are, are mostly students when, when football is that big of a program at your school, the students want it to be a big deal. So they kind of wanted to get more and more uh, outrageous of a concept. Um, now, what I've found is that students that go to schools where sports aren't that big of a deal uh, or their team is trash, they typically have an issue with the concept of, you know, the amount of money flowing through, you mm-hmm. know, those hallways, but gotcha. Uh, yeah so so speaking of money there's a lot of you know there's been talk like back and forth for years especially with like a lot of division one like you know college basketball brings in like a lot of money at a lot of universities in the u.s even like we touched on even college football and i think a lot of people are talking about like you know should college athletes you know should should they be getting some you know should they be getting paid or should they not be or like what's what's your take on that whole issue and i know you've probably heard it over no. the years, what's going on? Like, give me, give me your thought, thought process on that. So as far as paying collegiate athletes, um, I'll put it this way. When I was at B- BC at Boston College, um, we had to stay on campus all year, right? Uh, all four years, I should say. Uh, then the new coaching staff came in. They let us move off campus uh, for a little bit, or for our last year, I mean. Um, and they would give us checks for the rent, the food, um, for... Uh, the cable, just little things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting down in my locker and seeing the seniors walk in after they got their checks, probably like two or three days ago. New tattoos, a new iPhone <laughs> came up there. iPhone, which is a lot of you can you can see where the money went. So as far as <laughs> not, not giving, to rent in food, <laughs> what they would do was they would get. A, uh, a girl, either their actual girlfriend or a girl with a lot of food on her, uh, on her, whatever she paid for for that semester. Yeah. And they would just get her car and just use it that way. It's hey, fun. baby, come on over. It started to happen around that time. But, anyways, um, you saw that when you give a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old uh, with no real responsibilities money, it can go a lot of different directions. So, I do think that athletes should get money. I do think they should get compensated to some degree. I personally think they should, it should go into like an account and they shouldn't be able to access that account to three or four years after graduation. So you, you handle business. If you have three to three or four of the best years in that school's history, you got a lot of money in the bank, but you have to go ahead and start normal life without getting that money. So it doesn't hamper you as far as like how you, how you understand how to handle money as an adult. Um, so I do think they should get compensated because I think there was a, there was a, an article not too long ago that I talked about, I think it was Texas or LSU or Clemson where, you know, each player on a team, I don't know if it was basketball or football, was like $200,000, $300,000. Like each one was worth that much. Um, and that's a lot of money. And that's beyond what the, the scholarship's um, worth is. So I think they should get compensated. I just don't think it should be cash here. Bam, here's your, you know, $7,000 this month for having a great season. You know, I think it should be something put in an account and they can access that a couple of years after graduation. Almost like a, like a college pension for like after you're done playing. Exactly, exactly. I think, I think the other thing a lot of people don't realize is with like, even like division one athletes, they're like, you know, playing in the NFL, not all of them are, or they're playing like, you know, division one football at college. Not a lot of them are getting into the NFL. Like the, the percentage is fairly <laughs> low. Like not yeah. everybody jumps from the, you know, the division, like the, the all-stars that stand out are going to get drafted. Yeah. But 
yeah. beyond that, like, you know, I would say, I don't know what the percentage of like division one or even like division two, the percentage is even higher that yeah. aren't going to like another professional, like, yeah, chances are, yeah, you are going to be very normal in a couple of weeks after graduation. Like life is going to get extremely normal <laughs> and it's a very foreign feeling <laughs> when that happens. But uh, yeah, I think that's one of the misconceptions that non-athletes kind of have is that there's, you know, athletes are spoiled, they get too much and so on and so forth. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. What these athletes are doing, what they're going through the, you don't see the athletes crying too often, but strength coaches see that, right? The, 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 the position coaches see that, you know, you don't see um, the athletes talking about, yeah, I have to be on these antidepressants because I can't handle the stress, you know, because when you, for example, when you, I play safety, my first, my younger year, my freshman and sophomore year, I bid on play action. So play action, I'm coming up playing a run, they throw it over my head, I get yanked out of the game. It's embarrassing one to make or have a bad play in the game. And then you go home into your dorm, you turn on TV, you turn on ESPN, you watch an ESPN, your game comes on the highlights and you're getting beat again. Like you're seeing yourself, you know, in the worst part of your day. And then after that, you go back into watching film the next day and you watch that same play again. So that's a lot of, um, you have to be, uh, you have to have a certain level of mental and emotional resilience to handle that. And I think a lot of people won't be able to, or, or aren't able to do that and still handle the, the academic side of things. Yeah, because you, you talked about it where we've talked before where, you know, like injuries, obviously plays in the game, all those types of things, those things come back to haunt you. And then again, we look at the, all the stuff you the athletes are going through that people don't see. So when we yeah. look at like gutting through practices and all the injuries yeah. that happen and all that kind of just like now kind of being as a coach and seeing it, how do you kind of like coach new guys ahead? To being like, okay, if they're dealing with injuries or they're dealing with these things, like what, what are the kind of tactics you take from your own experiences to build off that? So that's my biggest thing. So my career ended with injury, right? I had a cartilage, basically arthritis in my left knee and it, it was just a wrap. I did everything to stem cells, injection, platelet-rich plasma, prolotherapy. I mean, I injected everything into that knee and nothing was working. So when it comes to injury, um, a lot of injuries, especially when it comes to the joint are preventable. And there's a lot of things you can do if you address it in time. What happens in football is that because pain is such a large component of the sport, it becomes normalized. And we don't differentiate between pain that just, you know, is this gonna happen and actual pain that's going to result in something more serious. And what I tell the athletes is like, hey, you gonna have a muscle, you know, pain in your muscle is gonna happen here and there. Uh, soreness is one thing, but whenever you have pain in your joints, right? there's never a scenario where that's okay. That's just not the way the body works, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever you have something like that, you have to handle that aggressively. And the ones that take heed to that, you know, they make the adjustments necessary, but the ones that don't, you see them limp for a long time. And that's the biggest thing I think about when it comes to like the idea of availability, like the best ability is availability, right? That's what they say. Um, but availability isn't if you are in the game or if you're injured and out of the game. To me, availability is, are you in the game and are you the best version of yourself? Void of, you know, turf toe, plantar fasciitis, uh, contramalacia patella, you know, tendinosis, so on and so forth. Um, because it's at that moment where you can really, you know, maximize your potential. But there's a lot of athletes out there that are just drugged up on painkillers and, you know, they numb up the area to get you out there to play. And that's, um, that's a dangerous game to play. And what one thing that I don't tell the athletes when I was coaching, because um, I didn't want to be enemy of the state, is that they, but I tried to still illustrate this point was the athletic trainers, their job is not necessarily to heal you. And I don't want to be, you know, controversial or take a shot at athletic trainers. But in my opinion, the way I view it, their job is not to heal you. Their job is to get you back on the field, to get you back in a competition. Healing, getting back in competition, two completely different things, right? The first rule of healing is to stop the offending activity. <laughs> right? If your sport is defending activity, you're in a weird position, right? So from an athletic trainer's perspective, they have to do what they have to do to get you back on the field. And that's where you see all the numbing agents. Uh, that's where you see all the different types of pills and braces and different things like that that they put on the athletes to get them back in the competition. Um, and I try to tell the players that, hey, it's, it's your responsibility. Like, yes, they'll do this and that, but it's really up to you to get you back on the field because, uh, and, and get you back to your best version of yourself as well, because if you just think that this ultrasound is going to heal your knee, mm -mm. 
don't work like that. So I'd agree. I feel like um, I feel like an example from basketball, like the NBA Finals a couple of years ago, when Kevin Durant came back, he had like mm-hmm. his, he had Achilles issues. Exactly. I think that might have been a perfect example of what you're mentioning. There's a difference yeah. between, hey, we're gonna heal you and fix you know that injury, yeah. and we're gonna get you back on the court or get you back on the field. And I think I said maybe an example of maybe maybe too much too soon because <laughs> exactly exactly and it's it's not hard to make an athlete feel good they got some pills for your ass like i'm talking about <laughs> you go into the, the uh the trainers and they pull that drawer open and it's just options like things you ain't never seen before and i remember even when i was in in uh and when i was with winnipeg and they had a needle this long it felt like it was this long and it was injecting that thing into my toe to get me in, in the game and it was just like they got some options to get you to play and to get you to perform for that two to three hour period. Um, but the ramifications of that can last a lot longer. So, you know, I try to make sure these athletes are as they approach it in as professional of a way as they can in their 18, 19 year old mind, right? So we're just trying to instill little habits and little bits of perspective that hopefully will pay, pay off later. Yeah, I think there's also definitely a difference between there. And I think you would agree with this. There's being hurt because everybody who's playing football, they're playing a sport, they're beating up their body. Everybody's hurt to a certain extent. And then there's hurt and then there's injured. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's there's definitely a line between those two things. So it's like, if you have turf toe or you, you have like, you know, knee ligament issues like that, that's an injury and that you need to address that. There's there's hurt and your body's sore and it's like, you know, there's recovery modalities for that, but like there's, yeah. there's no needles in the world that'll help you with, you know, you know, working through like a, an ACL tear or like a, <laughs> exactly. Achilles tear, like Durant did in the NBA finally. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> that differentiation, that's a really big deal. And the ones that get hip to it early enough um, are the, typically the ones that perform at the highest level because everybody can perform well first two or three games of the season, but is that, is that attrition after a couple games um, you get beat up a little bit, uh, whatever the case is, then that's when things start to add up. And, and when the demands of the sport requires everything to be functioning at a high level, like you cannot play full speed um, with a bad knee and expect the other joints not to try to make up for the lack of productivity for that knee, which means you have compensation in other areas, which can create you know some other issues. So for example, when my left knee had an issue, my, uh, what was it, my right toe or my right the plantar fasciitis in my right foot started to pop up, right? And then after that went, then it shot across to my other foot. So it is the compensation was just ping-ponging across as the work was still getting done, but the amount of um, work that each joint can handle was far beyond what it was supposed to. So you had a joint that was only at 80%, that other 20% was now in my foot. So my foot was doing 120% of the work. And then once that one went, then it went to the other foot and so on and so forth. So you really want to, when it comes to joints, a, aggressively as aggressively as possible address that and get that up out of you Don, do you feel like that's the um the athletes like responsibility to explain like their condition to make sure that they're staying you know on the you call it on the bench or if you want like not yeah. being active or is it like that pressure from the coaches because i remember stories of like when I was working with another athletic therapist who was working with the Leafs at the time and like literally the player has an injury coach would come in and be like, how long is he out for? And it'd be like uh, three weeks. Like, well, can you make it two? Yeah. And like, there's literally these conversations happening between athletic trainers and like coaches trying to get these guys. It's like, it's a negotiation. It's like, I don't know. I'm not his body. (laughs) Cut that down um, to a week and a half and what you got yourself a deal kid. You know, when I was playing in college, I remember my senior year because I beat myself up. Like I was, I was masochistic. Like I had a high pain threshold. The way I played and the way I trained was pain based, right? Um, and by the time I got to my senior year, I was pretty beat up. And I remember uh, in summer training, I got called into the head coach's office because I wasn't. I was sitting out the seven on seven that we were doing, the optional seven on sevens we were doing in the afternoon. And basically what he was doing was trying to, you know, make me do the seven on seven. And I was telling him like, coach, I'm barely making it through the, uh, the get through the uh, workouts. You know, I got just enough juice to do that. You know, I feel like it just be best for me to go ahead and just sit down and maybe help the younger kids during or the younger athletes uh, for the seven on seven. And we had a conversation for probably about an hour. 
and he was just was not budging. And then the next day I get to the uh, facility and the uh, athletic therapist came to me and like, hey, we want to try something different. So they gave me some different pills and everything like that. I felt better. But you can tell, <laughs> I felt like they were, they had a conversation. Young me, I didn't quite know, but I felt like they did, right? And then also when I became a coach, um, I wasn't in every conversation, but you can tell the conversations were being had as far as, and we just got to get them on the field. And it may be one of those things where you're just that important to the team, or they don't trust the secondary guy, or they don't want the reports coming out that this player is not present, so the other team won't game plan against them. So there's a lot of reasons as to why they'll do it. But once again, it's not in favor of whatever's best for that athlete, right? And a lot of times athletes want to play, but if there's ever a situation, especially in college, when you're not getting paid and every game matters so much, if you're not playing, um, you know, that's, that's, or you don't want to play, that says a lot, right? Because you, you, you're, you're that injured, in other words. So it's, um, there's some less than ideal things that happen, long story short, uh, when it comes to, you know, getting players back on the field. But I mean, that's the give and take of the game. You know, the game can give you a lot, but it also can take a lot. It's, it's a big deal. Gotcha. So um, I don't know about you guys, especially in the U.S., there's a pandemic going on, yeah. right? But <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> like like, like we're in a heightened state of like uh, emergency, like lockdowns are continuous. They come on, they come off. They, you yeah. know, it, it's a little different. But I've heard in some places like yourself, like where you guys are, it's a lot different of a world. Yes. And uh, like, how was that experience like? Because it's been like almost <laughs> close to 15, 16 months for us. So I, I literally don't know how you guys are doing on, on everything. <laughs> I have zero idea. I mean, you, like I said, you guys are kind of non-confrontational. I think this is the only time where it may be working against you guys as a whole. But <laughs> I've been trying to live as normal of a life as possible. When we were locked down. That's the first time I was like, this doesn't feel good. Like. I was, I'm not a stressful person. I'm not a person that, that takes on stress and kind of holds it in. I find a way to kind of get it up off me and try to, you know, get, up, get on about my business. Last year was the first time I was like, man, this stuff is really heavy. Not so much the threat of the, the virus, because I don't fear the virus. Um, I don't fear the whole process. But um, it's just like all the, the, the stress of everyone else. Every time you turn on something, you're just being inundated with it. Uh, but now that things are starting to lighten up, and uh, basically, we're, for the most part, kind of normal, I guess you can almost say. It feels good. Now, of course, you have a lot of people who are still just like not, are still, they just want to have a fight. They just want to kind of argue, give you a bad look and everything's here and there. But overall, it's it's awesome compared to what you got. <laughs> it's great down here. I don't know about what's going on up there. Yeah, half of my feed on Instagram is American. The other half is Canadian, just because of how much time I was up there uh, when I first got uh, Instagram. So I'm hip to both sides and it's just like, man, things could be a lot worse. So, I think there's, there's, there's different ways I think of handling a situation. And I know, you know, the scientific evidence and facts and all that, that's one thing. And then yeah. how a government decides to interpret it, to put it lightly is yeah. an entirely different thing where it's like, yeah. Hey, you know, we don't want people together. Let's close playgrounds, even though that makes no sense whatsoever because you're outside and kids are playing yeah. and, you know, stuff it, like that. I mean, other things like, okay, like, it, I think it's a lot of people are probably annoyed with, you know, the situation and I think of how the government's handling it yeah. versus like what's actually happening. And that's the, weird, the weirdest thing. I haven't, and I don't know, maybe it's just my, my, the circle of people that I have access to, I don't see anybody like, yeah, they're doing the right thing. I haven't seen anyone. <laughs> <Nope>. like, <laughs> this is exactly how we should handle this. Like, it's maybe a few people in the older population, but I, even there, some of my older clients that I had when I first started training, they're like, okay, I, this is kind of getting a little ridiculous now. Like, I, it's, it's hard to, to maintain any level of normalcy uh, when, you know, you don't know if the kid's going to be you know, in school, out of school, if I can go here, not go there, you know, they understand social distancing, how many people can I have over for my birthday party, how many people can't, you know, it, it's just, it's what I feel like is that all of the information that we had access to from all the thousands of studies that was done on the immune system, on nutrition, on sleep, on exercise, have been completely ignored uh, in the name of, um, 
overprotecting the immune system to the point of a fault, right? But I mean, that's just that's just my opinion. I'll, I'll keep it there. I won't go too far with it, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, an interesting yeah, yeah. situation overall. No, and I agree. Like, and and yes, everybody's going to approach everything differently. And yeah, again, I think we always like as fitness professionals, all of us like together. Yeah. I think the biggest thing we can always advocate is saying, "Hey, you need to eat healthy. You need to have a healthy immune system. You need to do get outside and be active and be able to do yeah. certain things." Again, as the weather is getting nicer, you should be outside doing yeah. as much as you can, right? So, like, if you're compromising your own immune system by doing certain things probably should stop that and if you are compromised hey what are the things you can address to build that up i think those are the things that are not being really talked about enough and that that was one of my i forgot who i was speaking to but i said that was one of my biggest disappointments in the entire process with all the uh western governments is that there was not enough of an emphasis put on what we can do right there's a lot of what we can't do. You shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome, I can't do that. Now, what can I do? Like, if you take all the options from someone and you don't provide them with, you know, a replacement somehow, then that's not really, to my understanding, the most effective way to handle a crisis, right? Give us some actionable steps to do that we can go ahead and put into action so that, you know, we can start to fight this uh, in our own homes while we're there. You know, as opposed to just kind of sitting and waiting, because we all know from the research that sitting and waiting and sedentary, a sedentary lifestyle and a lack of activity and so on and so forth and abundance of stress is all contrary to what probably should be uh, happening. That's, and that's going to compound the problem, I think, as well. Exactly. I, think, that's, yeah. I, I think, yes, you need to you need to eat properly. You need to sleep properly. You know, just all the things that you do, like, you know, if you're you know training and you're working out. Is all that stuff going to stop you from potentially getting COVID? No. But with that said, it's going to give your body, you know, you're going to keep your body and your immune system as strong as possible yeah. in order to, if and when something does happen, the yeah, yeah. effects are minimized. Get the, uh, what was it? Minnesota came out with a uh, study saying that those who are more active have shown to have uh, less severe reaction uh, to infection. So, I mean, thankfully that the science is coming out now um, it's becoming more of a common thing that, you know, you're, there's epigenetic control in this thing where like your habits can have an impact in a positive way. And like you said, does it make you bulletproof? No, nothing will make you bulletproof, but we're working on chances right now. And I think it gives us the best chance. Yeah. Well, you know what, just before the fall comes, we'll be back and, you know, like, well, hopefully we'll be out of our houses and no, you gotta get out your house before the fall. You cannot go into another winter. <laughs> For me, that'd be hard to watch online. Yeah, it's, hard, yeah. it's hard to watch Aaron at home drinking right now. Just, <laughs> <I'm> angry. <laughs> yeah. Listen. Eating the world, throwing beer bottles in his backyard. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I like I went for a 5K run today and I was like, I proved it again to myself. I'm like, running sucks, plain and simple. Running just yeah. sucks. Yeah. It's not fun. <laughs> I, I don't, I still, I, I ran, I got runners high one time. It was my junior year in high school and I never was able to get runners high again. It's, it's, it's way too much pain <laughs> preceding that little bit. Of, <laughs> that <laughs> little gratification of like yeah. runners high. It's like, yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> it doesn't give back enough. Why do people run? <laughs> yeah. Why do people do this? It's yeah. like, would you rather, there's other things that you can do to maybe get that high. Maybe not healthy, but, but yeah. there is a. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be better options, more economical options. There, there is more economical options, right, Aaron? At Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located that at. That is true. 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. Shout out Alex, mm-hmm. Alex and his crew there. They got all the CBD and THC needs that you need. This is the difference. This is the this is the issue in Canada right now. You have the devil's lettuce that we'll call it, which is now legal. Yeah. And, you know, jujitsu and, you know, martial arts and gyms are now illegal. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. The things that stayed open during like the absolute worst of it, when it was like, okay, we all about to die today. Like, LCBO, the, LCBO has to yeah. stay open because you know Aaron needs Aaron needs drinks. What else is he gonna do at home? You know, I only have like a beer like once every <laughs> week. Like, if anybody wants, making it sound like I, I down a six pack every day. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's, that's, that's it's, a lie. Like, <laughs> seeing what stayed open. And what clothes, anything that had anything to do with, you know, health and fitness 
and uh, goal setting was shut down and everything else that uh, basically did the opposite was, was uh, readily available. Oh, also, Aaron, by the way, this isn't a, this isn't a podcast. This is actually an AA meeting. We're uh, no, <laughs> intervention. me and Marcellus were actually talking <laughs> offline. We're like, I think we need to talk about Aaron's drinking. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. No, yeah, it was, like, again, I think like, like everybody at the beginning of this whole thing where everything just needed to shut down to kind of like figure out what it was. Yeah. Totally agree. Hey, yeah. Shut it all down. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's go. Right. But then it's just like, like for Mike and I were just like, we like, technically we couldn't even do a personal training session outside, like six feet apart from somebody like, like we wouldn't be able to do that. Right. And there was a point where, but I could do a golf lesson. This is how fucking stupid it got. So I could do a golf (laughs) lesson. Right. So I could, Hey, all right, take a swing, swing, blah, 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 do your thing. But if I, if I were to bring weights or like teach somebody how to do a squat, that was borderline illegal. It's like, what you are we were, doing here? Aaron, did you not know that dumbbells give you herpes? Yeah. I, <laughs> I remember going and like literally going to like Walmart, for example, and seeing five different people pick something up, put it back, next person come pick it up. And it's just like, you can go to Walmart and just run your hands across the aisles and just touch everything. <laughs> but then if you go to say, um, a gym with 25% capacity. That's just an insane concept. Like we just, that just can't happen. And it's just, yeah, that is just the lack of logic. I think is where they lost a lot of people, uh, which may kind of result in some of the, the pushback, I guess you can say, um, outside of probably what would, have, what would have naturally happened. What would you see? Like, you know, now we're talking about gyms kind of, and me and Aaron have talked about this a lot as a, as a topic, but gyms in like a post-COVID world like what do you think they're going to look like are they going to be like the big facilities that we used to work at where there's like hundreds of people going in and out of there today are they going to be like smaller more boutique like what are your thoughts like maybe not necessarily in Canada but because yeah but like maybe in the U.S. like what do you see as uh, honestly I think to get back to normal it may take a while um but even from what I see here because when I first went back into a gym um when was that when I first got here, I was going to the gym in March, no, March, until they shut down for a little bit, uh, till like April or May they shut down. Uh, and then I started going again to a different gym, probably in November or September. And um, it was for the most part normal. Like it wasn't, I mean, you had the social distancing. So like some of the machines had a, a sign on it, you couldn't touch it. You had to go to the, every other machine. Um, but it was for the most part normal. And what you saw was just the younger demographic of people there and less older people, right? Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Or the older people would come at a certain time, which I don't know, just combine all the people with the weakest immune systems all at one time. <laughs> Maybe that's the best thing. I don't know. But um, either way, it, it wasn't, it made sense as far as how many people were there. And that gave me confidence to know that, okay, things are going to get back to normal uh, probably a little bit sooner than, than I originally anticipated. But I don't think there's going to be any big difference maybe the only actually the biggest difference i'll see i think is we're going to see is how many independent um trainers you'll see so i think trainers from that perspective will stop going to the gym and start doing their own thing uh and start running their own little whether it's boot camps or what i'm doing starting out in my garage and different things like that and just kind of going that way so from a personal training perspective there may be some differences but um, outside of some capacity limit for the gyms, I don't see much changing up here or down here, I should say. Yeah, let me ask you that then. Why do you feel like a lot of trainers are going to go more into that independent realm? Is it more kind of like not having the reliability of a facility well, where people get shut out again? Like, I think it's, it's a couple of different things. So one, um, being employed by a box gym I think is, a, is an amazing experience because it teaches you a lot of things really fast. Like you get clients, you get to learn all the little ins and outs of personal training and coaching in general really fast. But for those who have that experience, um, you know, I think this pandemic forced us, I guess you can say, into a more um, in, in more of an ownership mindset where something we probably wouldn't have done before. So when I left coaching, uh, originally I was going to go kind of to the corporate world and then work my way into starting my own business. And the pandemic shut the corporate world down immediately uh, and then kind of thrust me into this side of things as far as running my own business. So I think that, you know, it doing that for me 
I know that it's done that for a lot of other people. And even when I go back, look at my wife and uh, my mother-in-law and our two kids still go to the gym we won't mention, uh, the one down here. Um, and for them, they enjoy it. They're not looking for any service. They just want to go there and get out. But from what I hear, when I speak to those trainers there, um, a lot of them was like, it's, man, I don't, I don't enjoy it. Like I'm here uh, for, you know, 12 hours a day. And for the most part, it was pretty empty. Like I'm just standing here cleaning machines for the most part. So um, yeah, I think a lot of people are getting used to taking ownership over their life in general, mm -hmm. uh, at least in our, in our field. Um, and as a result, um, they may not want to go back. Cause for me, I don't, I don't know how well I respond to having a boss again, unless it's a great situation. Uh, not yeah. that I can't work for someone else, but it has to be the perfect situation. Cause right now I really enjoy the amount of autonomy that I have, uh, kind of making you're, my own decisions. Sorry, sorry to interject, but you're, you're that scarred from working with Aaron all these years. <laughs> no, it was not Aaron. I ain't gonna say who it was. <laughs> Aaron, it's <laughs> okay. I was gonna say he would only come back and work for me again. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm like, I, I've worked there now all this time. I don't even think I want to go yeah, back Aaron and work with him. My neck for a while. I never told you, but you did mess up my neck for a while. But outside of that, it was all smooth sailing. Listen, that wasn't my fault. It was your own fault. What? No, we're gonna we're gonna get to that right now. Uh, Marcellus <laughs> won a grappling match against Aaron. Um, yeah, Aaron, okay, would you like on, to give on. us a breakdown of that hold situation? Okay. <laughs> We're going to break this down really fast and then tell the truth of this whole story, too. But I don't want to get mud muddied up at all. Okay, no, no, no. So, so here's the reality. Marcellus challenged me to a grappling match. <laughs> Realistically, I didn't think it was a good idea because I was his, like, you know, employer at the time. However, I accepted it. <laughs> I accepted the challenge. Yeah. Then I, I accept, I made the rules and this is where I screwed up. I yeah. made the rules. It was like five minutes. I would submit you. Those were the yeah. exact rules. So I was like, I gave myself a time. Oh, you're, call, you're calling your I shot. Had, you're that cocky. And, 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 and this is the, this is where I screwed up. I'm like, in five minutes, I will sub you in five minutes. However, yeah. I never took into account. Well, you can't, it's hard to sub a guy who doesn't want to fight you. So, <laughs> so on everything. I remember when we were like, okay, let's do it. We were standing by the, uh, the personal trainer's locker room. We're in that hallway, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was talking hella shit. I, I was just, oh <laughs> I was just talking. I could tell I was getting to you, so I was just like letting it rip. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I can, I can pin you or whatever. I, I don't know what I was saying, but then you was like, well, let's do it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, what did you just name a day? And you was name a day, and I was like, oh, in my head, I'm like, wow. He's like. Legit kind of <laughs> going a little bit longer than I anticipated. I'll, I'll, block, I'll block off a one-on-one -on -one meeting in our schedule. And we'll <laughs> I remember like after, after it was like solidified that we were going to, to do the match. Um, I remember, so first he was sending me like threats online. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the people getting choked out. <laughs> I, I was, I'm, surpri I'm surprised Aaron wasn't said to HR over this. Oh, wait, we don't have HR, <laughs> but go on. Get like mental, emotional warfare. I was, I was getting, on everything, I was getting nervous because I was going on YouTube that week and I was looking up like, how the hell do you, like, how do you not get choked out? Like, I was literally looking up. <laughs> and I remember seeing these videos, like all these videos, these big buff dudes and these little like, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys just choking people out, like left and right. I couldn't find any videos that gave me any information. So I was like, I just got to push. I just got to, I just can't get locked in. So anytime you'll grab me, I'm snapping way, snatching in. I remember you got on my back and you started to get a, um, I don't know what kind rear, of hand. I, I got into the rear naked, yeah. yeah. But and then it, I rolled it, off and. Yeah, as it, no, as, it, as the time was going out, because I remember kind of getting lightheaded as they were counting down 10. Nine, eight, now, literally like the, the saved by the bell type shit. Like I was legit <laughs> on my way to the upper room. But yeah, that was, that was, and I, I remember I had the Batman next for the, like the next two or three like days. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think about that now where I'm like, yeah, I could have got fired hardcore for that one if he complained. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about that. I never even thought about that. We, like, we, we don't have hr no one's firing you aaron no yeah. i know but i'm just like you think about it i'm like yeah you know what like as like a more experienced leader nowadays like i'm like yeah that's not a good move probably, like probably not yeah. a good probably idea no, <laughs> you, not like, I you came to the match 
in a hoodie with your head down with headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I really was nervous, like on everything. If, I, if you had seen my pit bill, it was like 137. Like, I was, my heartbeat was beating, but yeah. Mm, I don't know. Uh, uh, Aaron's probably could have gotten fired for worse. There was the whole uh, fight night at the pool and all that. That wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't my responsibility. I was just a participant in that. You were just a willing break. participant. I was a willing participant <laughs> and I broke a team member's arm. But I was a team member oh, too, so it didn't matter. <laughs> oh, this is before you, sir. So just before oh, you. The first one. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. You have a, you have a Aaron's team. abused a lot of his employees over the years. Mine being we weren't employed. We were team members together. At the oh, we're team members. Together. That makes it okay. Yeah. And then it was okay. Because yeah. that's when we, we um, so Marcellus is like, if you remember, like the pool area, yeah. like, you know, like that big patio and all that stuff. So we had rented an actual like boxing ring and yeah. we put a boxing, we moved all the chairs. We shut the pool down for the night. We put the boxing ring right there, and yeah. then we literally had a full-fledged like MMA card with um, I think we had like six fights all together. Highly illegal, highly, highly illegal. But go on. And um, and <laughs> so what happened was, and like like we were getting notices from like Boxing Ontario, like we will come there and shut you down and sue <laughs> you and like all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like we were getting like a lot of like infrared like places were sending stuff and we're like just run it anyways right and so like the, GM, the gm's like i don't want that i don't want to know what happened like they took off because we had sold all these tickets yeah. everything like that like all these oh, members were coming yeah. we had a bar we had the cash flow the whole deal <laughs> and so the first fight happens and it's uh two girls in a boxing match and then we changed the rules right so it was like the two minute round um like a one minute standing count whatever like we changed a bunch of rules so it wasn't boxing per se yeah. right and um literally like first 30 seconds of that first match and these two girls didn't like each other right left hook to the head and she's wearing a headgear too right and she starts yeah. wobbling right and she clipped her so well and if she starts wobbling so alwyn you remember alwyn yeah yeah okay so <laughs> he jumps in the middle of the these two girls like to give this girl like a standing 10 yeah. or whatever and then but like it was longer and so like then letting her get back into it and yeah. they were like oh goodness that shouldn't have happened <laughs> so yeah. she kept going Wait, who, are the, who are the fighters like who are these the fighters they were just members or? i don't think the girls you knew at the time i think it was like uh anna and krista i don't know if you were there people, uh, they were trainers yeah they were trainers oh, at the club yeah, yeah. right so they were trainers at the club so it was all staff Basically. This is before my right? time as well. I would have loved to see that. And then basically, like, um, then there was other individuals, like, had two two other guys that didn't like each other on the team, right? Had a match, <laughs> like, yeah. just like settle then, your yeah. settle your beef. It was like settling beef. Honestly, that's similar like it was. And then one of the the guy that I was matched up against, we were like, we're good, we're good buddies or whatever, and we're yeah. like. We're kind of like before we get out there, we're like, okay, like, you know, we got to work together, like, you know, 50%, like, you know, have yeah. that honest conversation, right? And so we go out there, you know, and the, we got the lights, we have music, we have everything yeah, yeah, going, yeah. right? And the adrenaline hits you. He hits me with one leg kick. I'm like, that whole 50% went out the window. Motherfucker, it's killed. <laughs> and like, I ended up in his guard and he tried to arm bar me and I just came across and just started pounding him in side control. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. So, so that escalated. That <laughs> yeah, it was good though. It was fun. Aaron, so, but I'm done now. I'm retired. retired Aaron committed now. a crime on, uh, on gym property, we'll say. Yeah. Roughly, I could say that. Yeah, <laughs> roughly, that is hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah, but we we were a little like more tamed back then, like when you were with us. So just yeah. a little, like if you look at like the show, I think we had the one of the apexes of the show, and then we started coming down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Underground. So man. one question I want to ask you before we start to wrap things up. Yeah. Now we used to be a conversation. Of like when we look at who the best athlete was. Yes. Where it was football. Yeah. Is Nestor here? <laughs> and it, like, and is that like now? Obviously, you've been, you know, you're back home for a while. You've trained a bunch of people since then. 
and all that kind of jazz. You've seen more things. You're older. You're more educated on a lot of things. Yeah. Do you still hold the same sentiment? Without question. It's <laughs> not even close as far as what group or what sport contains the greatest athletes. It's, it's football by far. Soccer, not even close. <laughs> MMA, track and field, even if you do the decathlon and all of that, whatever the case is, not even close. Uh, you name it, horseback riding, NASCAR, I don't know how else you want to put it, but there is not one sport that comes close, basketball, that comes close to the demands that football um, places on its players. And when it just comes from a, a pure performance standpoint, speed, strength, agility, hand-eye coordination, uh, power, endurance, is it's not even close, man. Sorry, Nestor, if you ever watch this, is no. <laughs> no. Not even Why? What, what does he? What does he say? Like he the most athletic sport is like power, power walking or something. Like he said, uh, soccer players. And he, I don't know. He, well, of course, because he plays soccer. Everybody's going to yeah, say their own sport. Like, you know, I get it. Like, okay, you play soccer. I play football. Let's just kind of, you know, have our stances. But at some point, you got to go ahead and tell the truth. And it's yeah, it's not even close. I don't know. I, I definitely think football's up there. I would say like decathlon, just because I would looking at different perspectives of different things no you need to be good at pretty much everything. you're not gonna you're not gonna get tackled in a decathlon that's the one thing like you don't you're not built to take contact I'm power i'm gonna power walk through that tackle and then <laughs> honestly i'm not even sure what's all in there i know you gotta jump i know you gotta throw i know you gotta run hurdles or something like that um but there's i think everything for the most part is in one plane of motion is that safe to say yeah, Fairly. I would say Fairly. so. Yeah, yeah I think so. But like, there's no sideways. Yeah, action no sideways. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to really react to yeah. your environment that well. You know, you just have a moment where you have to perform. So it is all those other little aspects um, that make to me that that separates um, football players. And I'm talking about from the 300 pounders all the way to you know the 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 175 pounders. You know. Um, a significant difference there's definitely a lot yeah. of applications of different attributes that you need definitely to play yeah. football at any level yeah yeah what you're just mentioning yeah 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 I'm, yeah i can't think of one attribute that is not necessary now of course not attribute needs to be top 10 right you don't need amazing aerobic condition right you need more glycolytic you know anaerobic but uh you know as far as what sport requires the most um demands on a human body from a performance standpoint. Yeah. Without question. Do you feel like, um, and I'm kind of like with the, the whole concept of obviously like when we look at like head, head injuries and all that kind of stuff, do you feel like the equipment is getting better for better protection for athletes or they're adding more protection around the player? So when these contacts do happen, it's actually um, better for the person yeah. opposing the hit compared to actually receiving any other than the equipment advances i don't see any real honest i'll probably never get a job in college after this but i don't see any <laughs> <laughs> there's like six people watching this class <laughs> but i um i i don't see any real honest attempt to make the game safe and fair they made the game so that it's almost impossible to play defense. You have to basically just sit there and wait for the receiver or the running back or the tight end to come and essentially, essentially run you over uh, mm -hmm. in the name of preventing concussions. Now, of course, there are some egregious things that took place. Even when I watched my old highlight tape, I was like, damn, I probably, that's a little much. Like, I wouldn't do that at 34 years old, like young, 25, yeah. you know. But um, the, the helmets, I remember I tried on, one of the newer helmets when I was uh, like when they first put them in their lockers before training camp, before the players got them on. Uh, and those things, it's comfortable. It feels great compared to what we had when I was playing. Um, you can definitely see that there's major advances from that perspective. So the helmets, uh, the way the shoulder pads, um, some of the rules of the game. But for me, when it comes to head injuries and long time post football effects, uh, I feel like the emphasis should be on the nutritional supplement side of things, right? Because for example, there's research that shows after a concussive event, 
creatine levels in the brain drop, right? We all know that, for example, I think 60% of the brain is fat. Half of that is omega-3s, right? So we know that, okay, we need to, there's a nutritional component to it. We, the research says that, for example, if you are sleep deprived and your cortisol levels are elevated, it actually has a, an, um, an, it causes atrophy in the brain, the amygdala, the frontal cortex, uh, the HPA axis. So we have this information that says that sleep, major component to brain health. Nutrition, major component to brain health. And you can supplement the same thing too. CDP choline, phosphatidylserine. You know, there's a lot of other supplements out there that deal with neural regeneration, so on and so forth. <clears throat> and I think us just trying to change rules of the game without changing the um, habits of the players or at least mandating, hey, you have to take this, this supplement every day. Like you're, you play a game where you leave with your head and you get within a practice 70 to 80 contacts head to head, you know, just doing drills and to not supplement that we supplement everything from the waist down, but nothing from the waist or from the neck or from, sorry, we supplement everything from the neck down, but nothing from the neck up to me is like, well, why not? Because we're not talking about, you know, how dangerous this game is from the knee perspective. We're talking about for the brain, right? That's where the tragedies are coming in. So if we really want to do everything we need, we can to help protect these players, um, I feel like we need to address it from a, a habitual standpoint as well, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, you brought up the biggest thing. It's like, how do you protect the players? And I think that's the biggest thing. Like nobody wants to see a game like football disappear or anything like that, yeah. but you just want to figure out how to make these things as safe as possible. So yeah. everybody can enjoy them for generation after generation after generation. Yeah. yeah. And walk away and have a good, like, I don't, I don't like to use myself as an example because it's anecdotal and you obviously need a, a larger sample size to really speak truth on a certain uh, on certain topics, but even when you look at the general population and you look at the uh, the cognitive health, you know, of, of the general population, you see that it's going down. So there's clearly something in our environment that is not pro-brain health. And we have the information there. So I feel like if you play a sport that is a contact collision sport, it's even more imperative that we do what's necessary to at least fortify the brain with what it needs uh, to function at a high level, just in general, but especially coming back from these concussive events. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think that's the biggest thing when you look at like, whether it being in fighting or even in NFL or anything where there's contacts, especially to the head, where yeah. you're finding a lot more athletes that are, you know, they're there to make their money. And then if yeah. they can make their money and then get out, that's yeah. the idea. Mm -hmm. They want to get out as fast as possible. But yeah. like, guys yeah. like Floyd Mayweather, right? Awesome defense, yeah. right? Like not yeah. smart with his money, but got a lot of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You look at Andre Ward, right? Retired, mm -hmm. undefeated, right? He's 33 years old, but he's still at yeah. the peak, right? But he could fight, but he doesn't want to. He's all yeah. about, no, I'm, I've moved on. So I think you're going to get a lot more, as the generations move on, I think we're going to get a lot more athletes that are going to have necessarily shorter careers because yeah. they're focused on, Okay, I'm going to make as much money as possible, be yeah. as good as po as long as possible, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to get out while I still have my wits about me. Yeah, I remember uh, talking to my cousin, um, and he played in the NFL for what, six or seven years. And he, he told me about how players didn't like the old the old time, the old players where they were like play until they had nothing left. Like every joint were replaced, everything was bad, neck was fused, and so on and so forth. He said a lot of players. You know, especially after they get that second contract, it's like, okay, I'm good. Whenever I get cut, it is what it is. Like, there's a lot of players that love the game, want to play as long as possible. But there's also a lot of players that, hey, once they get, you know, set financially, it was like, well, I, I kind of checked that box already. Now it's just quality mm -hmm. of life. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's taking a different um, place in people's lives as, uh, as time goes on. That, is it a good thing, bad thing? I mean, it's up to the person, but you can definitely see the difference. Yeah, for sure. So, Marcellus, before we wrap up, I'd like you to kind of like just is there anybody you want to thank or obviously like sponsors you want to shout out, you know, like what's what's what going on with you as you kind of move forward? Uh, so right now, like I said, I'm starting my or I started my business, Eat Sleep Peak uh, in or online or in person training. Um, <clears throat> that's my logo right there. I don't know if you guys can see that. Bang. 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 Pyramid. Into three levels, eat, sleep and peak. Um, so I take a very uh, synergistic approach um, to muscle gain, weight loss, performance enhancement, 
Uh, I want to make sure that every box is checked so that you can get the most dramatic transformation and in a reasonable amount of time as well. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm affiliated with Body Logics uh, and their uh, supplements. So if you want 20% off, you can use my code Coach Boom, uh, C O A C H B O O M, and uh, that'll get you 20% off. Once again, Body Logics, uh, B O D Y L O G I X. Very that's nice. It. Yeah. Awesome. Very nice. Marcellus, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you yeah. again. Thank I you so much it. for joining us. Uh, we definitely want to have you on the podcast again eventually down the road. And hopefully yeah. when the borders open up, we'll figure it out from there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you got to make it back up. Somebody got to get married and have a baby. So I come up there and uh, celebrate with them. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I think uh, I think we've been walled out of the U.S. currently. I don't yeah, think Canadians no, are allowed. <laughs> eventually, eventually, things will normalize. Things exactly. will. Things will, though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it, though, guys. It was awesome. Awesome. All right. I'm gonna. All right. Sorry. Thanks, everybody.